Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. All healthcare professionals participating in this podcast are paid consultants for Avellino. This special edition episode of the Mod Pod has been developed and sponsored by Genetics and iCare Today. Hello and welcome to the Genetics and iCare Today podcast. I'm Dr. Sam Garg, and with me today is Dr. Brandon Ayers. Hey guys, how are you? I'm an ophthalmologist specializing in cornea and cataract surgery at the Gavin Herbert Institute, uh, which is part of UCI Health at the University of California, Irvine. And I'm also a cornea and anterior segment specialist in the Philadelphia area. I'm part of the cornea service at Will's Eye Hospital, and there we do you know, uh, all surgeries in the front of the eye, from refractive surgery, uh, cataract and anterior segment surgery, and we do a lot of cornea surgery as well. And you guys should know that both Sam and I are paid consultants for, uh, for Avellino, and uh, thanks for joining us for the podcast. Yeah, in this podcast, we'll discuss several topics related to how we use the Avagen genetic test for keratoconus, uh, to inform our patients. Um, before we get started, I want to urge you to check out the Genetics and Eye Care Today website, which is www.geneticsandeyecare.com for more articles, podcasts, and other resources. We'll put a link to this in the website um, and in the show notes. So I guess, Sam, the first thing we should cover is what is the, uh, the Avagen test? Um, some people may not be familiar with this. And Avagen is the first personalized genetic eye test that uses what's called next generation sequencing to detect 75 genes for keratoconus. And it creates what's called the polygenic risk score. And that's shortened as the, the, the PRS. And this helps us identify patients who are at high genetic risk for keratoconus. The test itself is relatively straightforward. It's a cheek swab, uh, only takes a few minutes, and that cheek swab is sent out to Avellino for processing. I think it takes on average about two weeks to get the results, and the results are sent to a HIPAA-compliant web portal. And I think to be genetically responsible, not only do you get the PRS and the results back, but Avellino also provides genetic counseling, not only to practitioners, but also to patients. Yeah, that's right, Brandon. Uh, along with the PRS score, which is categorized as low, moderate, or high, the Avagen test also provides a definitive yes-no diagnosis of specific corneal dystrophies based on monogenic data from the TGFBI gene and 70TGFBI gene variants. This makes this very valuable um, tool for making us, uh, for helping us protect our patients and uh, really, I think, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more, but help stratify our patients when it comes to decision-making for various um, treatments. I've also screened several patients for the TGF-beta I gene. You know, in many cases, uh, that is for families that we know have things like uh, granular and lattice and Avellino dystrophy. But my real interest is in screening patients and knowing more about keratoconus. Yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, Brandon, let me, let me start by asking you, what role does Avagen play in helping you evaluate your patient's refractive condition and the appropriate treatment when you're looking at patients just say for refractive surgery? So, you know, Sam, I'm sure this is the case with you. Uh, when I walk into a room and I see, you know, LASIK evaluation, it doesn't take me very long to, you know, look at the refraction, look at the corneal thickness and just say, you know what, you, you know, LASIK is a potential solution for your problem. Maybe the patient's a minus four and, you know, the corneal thickness is 
550. And then the rest of the discussion is all about risk. You know, you may get dry eye, you may get this, you might not be able to read. And a huge part of the screening is making sure that we screen out patients who are at high risk for, for ectasia. And I even tell that to patients, you know, we brought you in and we did this huge battery of tests and that's all to make sure that you stay safe after refractive surgery. So more data for me is better. And there have been, I mean, time and time again, especially at a referral center where maybe I'm not the first, you know, doctor to look at a patient, they've been maybe rejected from another site due to something funny looking. And maybe I have a great refraction. It seems stable. It's a, you know, 27 year old minus four, but I look at the topography and it's a little irregular or maybe their corneal thickness is thinner than I feel comfortable doing laser refractive surgery on. Well, in the past, I would just say, you know what, not gonna do it, I don't know, maybe you're at risk for atasia, so you know, they're right, so sad, get out of here. But now we can employ genetic testing to add another you know, factor into our decision-making. So during those patients where I have that moment of pause where I'm just not quite sure, you know, is this patient safe, are they not safe? Um, we'll say, hey, look, you know what, maybe let's add genetic testing and see if we think you're at higher risk for this condition called keratoconus. And if that comes back low, then I think you're probably a good candidate for laser refractive surgery, whether, whether it's LASIK or PRK or, or SMILE or whatever we're doing. But if it comes back high, then maybe we're best sitting on this or, or doing a different version of refractive surgery, uh, clear lens exchange, or maybe an ICL. So I, I really find that it's helpful in those patients. And I think it's even helpful in patients where we think they may have keratoconus. Or maybe you see, you see somebody where their bell and ambrosia looks like there's some warning signs, or maybe they have frank uh, form fruits keratoconus, and you're not going to touch that patient with a laser. But if it helps solidify that they likely have keratoconus, then we can now put them into a treatment arm and possibly get them crosslinked. So now that we have collagen crosslinking approved here in the States. So even in those patients where we used to say, well, I think you can't have laser refractive surgery because maybe you have keratoconus, good luck with that, go get a contact lens. Now we have a treatment path for those. And some of those patients may actually come back later on being candidates for at least PRK if we can prove that we can stabilize the, the shape of the cornea. I really like incorporating that genetic information into my decision-making because it helps me keep patients safe. And it actually opens doors for me for other treatment pathways for some patients who, who didn't have a pathway before. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think it's a nice educational tool as well. Cause you know, as, as you mentioned, um, we're not always the first um, the first opinion for, for these patients. And, you know, they've seen someone else and they've had, they're not sure, or they weren't confident and having this genetic test, especially if it comes back positive, really gives, gives me confidence to say, Hey, listen, you know, Mrs. Jones, this, this is not a good idea for you right now. Um, let's, let's wait and watch and see. And really depending on their age as well, right? If they come in and they're a little younger, certainly you want to wait on these patients. If they come in and they're, and they're older, um, and they have a low genetic risk, you, you might feel more confident going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing that I love is it gives us something that they haven't had before. You know, it's, a, it's another test that we can do. And personally, myself, I like the test for corneal dystrophies. And I tell that to patients, look, we are looking for a specific issue, you know, keratoconus or the TGF beta I dystrophies. 
we're not screening you for a thousand different diseases. You're not going to learn anything about, you know, will your left foot fall off in 20 years? You know, it's just looking for keratoconus um, as opposed to like a battery of tests. Because there are some people who are a bit fearful about, you know, learning things that they really don't want to learn about. But I, I really enjoyed in, uh, incorporating the Avagen test into our, you know, refractive screening patients. And it just, I think it makes me a better and, and safer surgeon. Um, there's no question that this data can impact both medical and surgical decision-making. And, and how has this been for you uh, as you've employed this with your patients? Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've been using it now for a few months and uh, I find the data is helpful because number one, it's easy to interpret, right? It, it gives you this sort of uh, green, yellow, red scale, and you get, you get a number. Whereas, you know, sometimes when you're looking at a topography or tomography, you're wondering what the quality of that, of that data is. And with this, you don't really have to worry about it. I mean, it's, 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 it's looking at a, uh, a genetic score and, you know, the, the fidelity of the test is very high. Um, I think what, what concerns me a little bit right now is we don't know what the long-term sort of um, results will show with this. And I think as we use it more, we'll be able to develop the score that we get into a risk score, uh, particularly for keratoconus. And, you know, then we can, if, if it does come out high, you know, I'm very confident telling patients that let's watch and wait and, and follow you closely. And if you show progression, uh, then cross-link you. And if we cross-link you, then we can talk about various aspects of refractive surgery if that becomes an option for you. Whereas if it's low and all the other tests are showing low likelihood of uh, any kind of you running into any issues, not, not a very high myope, not a very thin cornea, um, then that gives us an extra, like, like it's, it's, it's sort of like intraoperative aberrometry to me. You know, I don't, I don't trust intraoperative aberrometry, you know, without, without sort of having the context of where it is in the patient, you know, what's going on with the eye. Uh, and I would say the same is true of, of the Avagen test at this point. So I would say, you know, if it comes back really high in a young patient, I'm going to tell them to come back and follow them. And, you know, as you mentioned before, now that we have cross-thinking, we, we, we have something for these patients that we can help, we can help them save their vision, uh, you know, not lose their vision. And, you know, a lot of these patients come back and they're so grateful that you don't just jump in and operate on them because you're looking out for their best interest, not just now, but really for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I totally agree. This is this is good for us now in decision making, and it's good for the patients forever uh, in knowing that they may potentially have a problem. Because you know we can modify what we can modify to decrease the you know non genetic issues that may lead to keratoconus, you know, atopic disease, eye rubbing. Uh, you know, things of that nature. And I've had more than one family look at me and I say, well, you know, the genetic risk is moderate or, or the genetic risk is high for keratoconus and go, well, what does that mean? And you have to stop and go, well, I don't know yet, you know, but it means that I'm worried about, about you or about your kids and I'm going to follow you more closely. And I think you hit it right on the head. You know, how, how worried do I need to be about there being a complication from your refractive surgery or how much we need to worry about you developing keratoconus down the road? But as we gather more information, because th this is really the, the, the horizon of genetic testing and eye care, uh, you know, I think there'll be more things coming down the, the pipeline. And as we follow patients longer and we gather more genetic information and we can correlate, you know, what this risk score means and how that patient did over the next 10, 15, 20 years, I think you will be able to say, you know, if your 
PRS is high risk, that means you have a, you know, 30 to 40% chance of clinically developing keratoconus in the next, you know, five or 10 years. I think that information is going to come and that'll be really helpful um, in explaining the situation to families and to patients. But right now it really is something that I, that I just kind of integrate into my gestalt as to how risky is this patient or how risky is this surgery? And is this patient likely to develop clinical keratoconus down the, down the road? 100% 100% agree. You know, I think the other thing with refractive surgery in general is these are healthy eyes and we're trying to, you know, give a patient a lifestyle modification with, with refractive surgery for the most part. I mean, certainly there's medical indications for refractive surgery as well. And, and the last thing you want to do is take someone who had good vision in glasses or contacts and then subject them to a procedure and then them having you know, some kind of visual morbidity because of that, um, you know, drop in vision, not able to be corrected, things like that. You, you, you yeah, mentioned, it's you funny. mentioned, yeah. it's, it's funny you say that because I actually say that to my patients when I'm in the, in the lane, I say, you know, we do all of the screening and make sure you have a perfectly healthy eye, except yeah. you need glasses. And yeah. now we're going to do surgery on that eye. So uh, I think we see pretty much eye to eye, no pun intended on that. And uh, anything we can do to decrease that risk is just, it's good for us and it's good for patients. 100% agree. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. This special edition episode of the ModPod has been developed and sponsored by Genetics and iCare Today. All healthcare professionals participating in this podcast are paid consultants for Avellino. So, you know, you mentioned in, in your, um, in your, uh, as you were discussing here, you know, how um, you, you talk to families, how, how do you, you know, are you using this, just say someone comes in and they are found to have keratoconus, at, you know, during a, a screening for um, a refractive surgery evaluation, how are you, are you, are you offering this to their, to their kids or what, what are you talking to them about with respect to the Avigen test and, and familial screening? Yes, Sam, uh, you know, we are. And I think that's really a home run for genetic screening because I will pick up keratoconus, you know, sometimes on the refractive eval. Very often we're sent patients who we already know have keratoconus. You know, we have a large cornea referral network uh, from both ophthalmologists and optometrists. So very often I'm seeing somebody who's had keratoconus for 10, 15, 20 years they're still progressing. Uh, an example is our, you know, say a, a, a 32 year old, you know, mother or father of three, you know, knows they have keratoconus and I really don't need a genetic test there to, to, to screen them. I, I know they have keratoconus. I described to them that keratoconus is both, you know, environmental or has environmental factors and it has genetic factors. And some of that can be passed down the family tree. And a natural question is, oh, geez, you know, well, what about my kids? You know, and they always say, you know, I wear glasses, they wear glasses. Does that mean they have keratoconus? And, you know, I try and reassure them, you know, it's not indefinite. We don't know. The genetics are quite confusing. We have all these different genes. But something that we can do is do do a genetic screening on them and see if at least they're genetically, if they're at high risk for developing keratoconus. And moms and dads and family members, 
I think really appreciate that we can do something early to help us know how often to screen, when to screen, how worried to be, what is our concern score for their family, so that maybe they don't have to go through some of the ordeal that the you know, mother or father did. Um, you know, they're wearing contact lenses, they, they've gone through you know, their, their change in vision and how frustrating it can be. And it, I think they have a little bit of a sense of guilt. You know, did I give this to my kids? You know, I didn't mean to, but you know, did I? And they worry about that. When we do the genetic screening, even if it comes back high, we can say, hey, look, we know that they've got genetic risk for keratoconus. That's not the only factor. There's also environmental factors. So let's watch for algae. Let's watch for eye rubbing. Let's, you know, let's minimize those factors. We're going to watch them closely. And even with the earliest sign of a change in that cornea that could be for keratoconus, we're going to cross-link them. So they're never going to be, they're never going to go through, you know, the things that you went through because we can stop this disease now. And on the flip side, if that genetic risk score comes back low, I still don't say, oh, don't worry about it. They can't get keratoconus. They can. And, and we've had people with keratoconus who have a low genetic risk score because there's all the environmental side. So we say, hey, look, the risk genetically looks low. You're genetically off the hook. You know, I don't think that you passed anything down, but we're still going to watch your son or daughter uh, to make sure they don't develop keratoconus. But I'm a little less concerned. So we don't maybe have to screen them starting at age seven or, or eight or, or whatever you want to begin your screening. So the, the Avagen genetic test really does treat the whole family, not just the keratoconus, but it alleviates the concern from the parents. And it allows us to do a better job at screening for early onset keratoconus so we can stop the progression by doing collagen cross-linking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the education part of it is key. You know, uh, patients uh, and families understand more, you know, they understand tests usually, you know, the, they understood, understand high cholesterol, they understand, you know, high blood pressure, you know, if there's some kind of numeric value to it, they get that. And with keratoconus, um, you know, the importance of early detection, to me can't be overstated. Um, and because it allows us to have early action. And so, you know, if you get these patients, and you talk about genetics with them, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, we always talked even before this test that, you know, there's a familial component, but, you know, when, now that we have cross-linking available to us and we have a genetic test, it's so second nature to me when patients come in and they have keratoconus to say, Hey, well, listen, you know what, you know, um, if you have family members, children in particular, um, make sure they're seen and at a minimum, make sure that they're not rubbing their eyes. Cause we know that that's a huge risk factor. Now in rubbing eyes, we could talk a whole hour about, you know, the etiology of, of rubbing eyes and how that impacts uh, keratoconus. But, you know, but just that little blurb to the patient, you know, allows us to really impact their kids' lives. And, you know, I mean, if the, the impact of keratoconus on someone's life is so dramatic that if we can just, you know, help a few patients, I mean, we've really helped so we've helped them so much it's it's incredible so uh, i agree completely this special edition episode of the mod pod has been developed and sponsored by genetics and eye care today all healthcare professionals participating in this podcast are paid consultants for avelino Welcome back. I'm Sam Garg, and I'm chatting with my uh, friend and associate, Brandon Ayers. Once again, we're both paid consultants to Avellino. 
So Brandon, we both know there can be barriers to incorporating a new test or product into a practice. With respect to the Avagen iGenetic test, what do you think these are and how do you think the, uh, what's, the what's your sort of pearls for uh, best implementation of this test into someone's practice? We know everybody, uh, we get so set in our ways. Anytime there's something new, it can be difficult to implement. And we're concerned about cost. We're concerned about, you know, how does it work with the flow? We, we all seem like we're already working at 100 or 110%. How can you do one more thing in the day? And it seems like we're being bombarded by, you know, you should do this, you should do that. But I, I think for me, in a, in a corny heavy practice, implementing genetic testing was really critical. We, we wanted to and almost had to make it work. And luckily, uh, Avagen makes this very easy. This is not a um, th this is not a test that really took all that much convincing to my staff or to myself to implement. And remember, anytime you implement something or you add something, it's got to make you better and it's got to be good for, for you and for patients. And that was the case with the Avagen uh, genetic test. For us, it's made it very easy because Avagen provides the diagnostic test to us. And I already knew when we brought this test in that I didn't have the time to swab cheeks. Remember now, this Avagen genetic test is a cheek swab. It's not a blood test. And I, I think that's critical. We're, we're not drawing blood in the office. And, and, you know, younger kids don't have to be terrified that they're going to get a stick with a needle. It's just, you know, a, a four swabs in the cheek. Um, I've got a couple really excellent technicians who like to get involved in patient care. So immediately we trained them to be able to perform the test and um, you know with the very low or no cost to entry with it costing me zero time in the office I just simply talked to the patients to say I think we should do this test and if they agree I walk out my technician walks in fills out the paperwork does the cheek swab sends it off and even helps me check the results when that when we get the um, the results back through the HIPAA compliant web portal uh, I get an email and so does she, and so does my admin assistant. So someone is there to, to remind me, hey, this test came back. I look at it and then we reach out to the patients. So the keys for us at making this a success, one, having patients who need the test. And, and that was a no brainer for us. They were, they were there waiting for it. Having a technician that was capable and eager to be involved in patient care and empowering those technicians to do the test for us and making sure that we had a, a backup plan for the results. Because in ophthalmology, we're not always that uh, prepared to look up labs and, and things like that. We don't have a nurse or nurse practitioners chasing us down here. The labs where this patient came in. So I wanted to make sure I didn't forget about it because, you know, I walk in, talk to the patient, do the test. I go to the next room and I've already forgotten what I did in that last room. I'm on to the next. So having those reminders was really important to make sure we don't drop the ball in reaching out to the patient to discuss the results with them. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, we've, we've implemented it similarly um, without uh, any, any major outlay for, for our practice or, you know, our staff. So uh, I, I actually do the swabs myself. I feel like, you know, the patient, um, I don't think my practice is quite as busy as yours, uh, but it's it's one of those things. It, it takes literally a few seconds, and then the staff uh, fills out the paperwork. We send it in, um, and Avalino charges the patients directly. Um, you know, the patients can submit the charge to uh, FSA or HSA for reimbursement, but um, there's really no money transfer uh, in our practice. So um, that's that's been a nice way to sort of get patients to, you know, use the test for us to learn about it. Um, 
at a very low barrier to entry. And so Sam, our, our practices, I think are very similar. We both have academic e-practices, but I'm kind of a, a fake academic. So I call it a, a folkademic practice. It's a private practice and that's where I generate my, my revenue. So I do tell the patients that they can use their HSA or FSA to pay for that test. So for many, many patients, the outlay of money is relatively, uh, relatively low. Yeah. I mean, I think for the value for what, for what information you're getting is certainly, um, it's certainly a, a good deal, if you will. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that Brandon Ayers and I have made it clear how the Avagen iGenetic test can help uh, inform your refractive treatment decisions. Be sure to subscribe in your podcast app. For now, I'm Sam Garg. And I'm Brandon Ayers. Asking you to look out for the next Genetics and Eye Care Today podcast. Thank you.